Good morning, Grace. It is a pleasure and an honor to be back with you again this Sunday. Um, coffee in hand, because I had a little cough sneak up on me yesterday. And uh, so appreciate your prayers through this that we can get through without this little tickle in my throat. Um, got the COVID thing last month, so I thought I'd check that box off, but <clears throat> who knows. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into the Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for Sunday. Thank you for this day. Thank you for a day of rest. Thank you for your family. Thank you for being able to gather together and turn our eyes onto you, Jesus, and to indeed remember your faithfulness to us throughout the decades. You are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, and thank you that you will be the same tomorrow and next week and next month and throughout the year. So, Father, we, um, we want to see you this morning. We want to see you more clearly. We want to understand your calling upon our life more clearly and how we can walk faithfully with you. Please open our eyes to great things in your word. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning, uh, I'm really excited to share with you what we've got. I uh, <clears throat> crammed my bachelor's degree into seven years like a rock star uh, back in the day and uh, started at Westmont College and ran out of money and uh, transferred up to Cal Poly and finished up there in, in seven years. And then at that point, I had borrowed all the money that I dare borrow to go to school on a youth pastor's salary. Um, finally, COVID hit, and I thought, well, now's a good time to get a master's degree, and had the time and had the money, and so uh, dove into that, and ended up doing a, an MA in leadership, and what I'm going to share with you this morning is kind of the culmination of, of what I squeezed out of that program that really was for me. This really is for me and my life and things that I've been through, and I just want to share with you, and I, I think you'll find some things that you can grab onto this morning that will help you throughout 2024 and onward throughout this year. And it's on the general topic of resiliency and how we hang in there. When, we get, when you get um, smashed in the face, when you get kicked around and you are just ready to throw in the towel and quit, how is it that we can hang in there and keep going and stay faithful to God, faithful to his calling on our life? How can we get through those hard, difficult things when we're ready to quit? And that was my starting point. And what uh, I want to share with you this morning is what I found from Scripture, what I found through experience, and what I found through um, reading a zillion books on, on the topic. So um, whatever that's worth, we're going to dive in. And, and it's going to be kind of a little, a little fast-paced. I'm going to try not to talk too fast. But it's going to be a little bit of a survey of what's going on in Scripture. And I think you'll see um, some things that will be encouraging to you. Um, talked a little bit last week about canoeing with my wife and, and all that. Decided to step it up from there and jump into whitewater rafting. One of my buddies did it for his bachelor party. It was great. We went on the South Fork of the American River, some class three whitewater, and had a great time. And that just whetted my appetite for, pun intended, um, for doing that in youth ministry and spent a lot of days on the South Fork of the American River with our youth group at summer camps um, up near Tahoe. I'm doing some rock climbing and whitewater rafting and all that kind of stuff. One year, um, we, I forgot, I got the magic clicker here. Um, boom. One year, for some reason, we, uh, we couldn't go up to the South Fork of the American River, and so we ended up on the Kings River just up near Kings Canyon and all of that, just for a one-day trip. It was a little bit more aggressive white water than what we had been on the South Fork. There's some Class 3-plus kind of stuff. And if you don't know, Class 1 is just flat water. Class 2 has some little 
waves and stuff like this big. Class three is what you're looking at right there in the picture. You need, you need a raft. You need a, a guide to kind of get you through it. But it's probably not going to kill you. Once you get to class four, um, that you better know what you're doing or you're going to really get yourself in trouble. Class five, there's a saying, paddle or die, <laughs> because you really might um, not live through that one. And class six is technically unrunnable in a raft. So this is a class three rapid you're looking at. And we were um, floating down the river, having a great time. Um, and thankfully, thankfully that day, they had given us some training on shore that I had never received the previous five or six times that I had been river rafting. And they said, we're going to come across some rapids that are called haystack rapids. And it's just where the, the water is flowing through a channel and it just forms some waves, one wave after another, and they just pile up. So the river is, is flowing downstream like rivers do, and, and it runs into this big granite wall. And then it takes a hard left downstream and forms these haystack rapids and then, and then onward. And as we are floating down this section of the river, we see another boat that's in our group. And they are ahead and they are stuck. They're not going anywhere. And it's like, wait, this is a river. There's water moving. Why aren't they moving also? But this boat is just stuck right in the middle of the river. And we are drifting downstream. And I'm in the front left of the raft with my Dodger hat on there. Mm, yes, it's going to be a great year. And... I'm looking back to our guide who's in the back of the boat, and I'm going, what are we going to do? What's our plan? And she's thinking, but she's not talking. And so I'm doing the math, and I'm thinking, if we have no other plan, our plan is bumper boats is what's going to happen. And sure enough, she didn't call out a plan, and so we just rammed into the other boat, and we didn't ram. We, we did, they didn't go anywhere. I, so I knew this was going to happen. And so I lean into the boat as far as I can. We ram into them. We're doing like three miles an hour. But there's still momentum and inertia here. And we, we bounce off of them. But my body, a body in motion tends to stay in motion. You know that old physics lesson? And so the boat bounces back, but my body keeps going forward. Boop! Into the drink. And then the boat is not dislodged. And our boat comes down and is stuck right next to their boat. Now we get two boats stuck with no youth pastor. Because the youth pastor is underneath the boat. And there's a big rock back here, and there's a big rock back there, and a big rock in front of me, and I'm doing visual underwater inspection of the workmanship of the boat. <laughs> and I'm very quickly doing the math. Rock behind me, rock behind me, rock in front of me, boat on top of me. I wonder how this is going to turn out. <laughs> and honestly, just about the point that I'm thinking, Lord, is this the way I'm going down? <coughs> Pardon me. I don't know, God either flushed me out or some big angel reached down and grabbed me out. And the next thing I know, I'm come out from underneath the boat facing these haystack rapids that they had prepared us for earlier in the morning. And I've been underwater for what feels like a minute. Who, I don't know how long, you know, when you get into a situation like that, time just sort of does its own thing. And I come out and I desperately need to breathe. And I'm looking at this wave right in front of me. And thankfully what they taught us is with these haystack rapids, you're not going to float over them. Your body is going to go through the rapid, and it's gonna, you're going to come out in the trough, and that's when you breathe. And you take a breath, and then you're going to go through the next wave, and then you take your breath. And thankfully, they taught us that because I needed that desperately at that moment. So I did my homework, or was doing my homework, and I came through, grabbed a quick little breath, bam, the next wave hits, go through it, come out, grab a little bit more of a breath, and at this point, I get able to get my Dodger hat back on because I'm going to drown, I'm going to drown in style, and boom, the third wave hits, 
I grab another breath, and at this point, I make sure my feet are downstream in front of me in case there's any rocks, and I'm starting to catch my breath. Boom, the fourth wave hits, but now I got my hat, I got my breath, and now I'm riding in style. Went through five or six more of these haystack rapids. We got to the bottom. The boat finally caught up with us. And lunch just happened to be right around the bend. And the deal was, they told us in the morning, if you end up swimming a rapid, you're first in line for lunch. So it was a win-win-win all the way around. I'm so thankful that day that they had taken the time to give us that little lesson about how to swim a haystack rapid. And, and that's what I want to do for you this morning, is offer you some advice, offer you some some personal experience as well as from the word, the next time you hit a rapid in life and life gets a little difficult, some things that you'll want to keep in mind. So with that said, um, is this how you envision 2024? At least you hope so, right? You know, we, I, we're January, we're going to get to December and it's going to be great, Right? Or not. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old, and <laughs> so far, um, does this go backwards? So far, this has not happened in 50 years. <laughs> I'm still hoping for it. I'm still waiting for it, but it has not happened. It's this is what happens. And sometimes not so bad, sometimes horrible. We just don't know. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what this afternoon holds. The Lord does. But we don't. And so we've got to be prepared for these kind of things and to develop some resiliency. What absolutely blows me away is, this is at Glacier Point up in Yosemite, how do trees grow in rocks? I mean, you, plant, you, you go to Home Depot and you buy the, the fancy $20 potting soil or the all-organic stuff and you buy that new plant and it's, it's moldy and mildewy and leaves are doing funky colors they shouldn't. And you're doing everything you can to nurture that little thing and it dies on you, but you got a pine tree growing out of the rocks. That's resiliency. How does that happen? I don't know. I want to know these things. Uh, this is a picture up in Tuolumne Meadows just of the Tuolumne River. Just love it. But there again, there's another pine tree on the left growing out of the rocks. I mean, yeah, it's got water there, but where's the soil? You know, it's crazy stuff. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to key on three keys to becoming resilient and then three keys for kind of maintaining resiliency, some habits to put into practice in your life. The first point we're going to hit on is going to be kind of the longest, and then it's going to kind of pick up pace a little bit more after that. Resiliency. Um, did I put my definitions on here? I did. Okay, there we go. Um, this is the way that I kind of define this idea of resiliency. Externally, it's the idea that we are resilient when we stay on mission in the face of adversity. When you keep going, it's hard. You want to quit. You want to throw in the towel. It's fourth quarter. You play the whole game. You run the whole mile. You don't quit. Externally, you keep doing the thing that you need to keep doing. You finish your homework, and you finish the work day, and you finish the Friday, and all that kind of stuff. But internally, <clears throat> resilience is when we find ourselves growing and improving in our character and in our competency despite or because of the hardships, where that thing that otherwise would have knocked us down and knocked us out actually makes us more like Christ and makes us better at what we do. 
Um, here, here's kind of the, our, our starting point scripturally, but we're going to survey a lot of scripture, and I'm just going to read a lot to you. You probably won't be able to keep up in your Bible, but um, a lot of it is you can take, take your notes. Um, last week, we talked about unity and Jesus praying, praying to the Father and praying for his disciples and praying for us. Um, this is the verse right before all that happens. At the end of chapter 16 in John, he's, he's been talking to them. In chapter 13, he washes their feet. Chapter 14, 15, 16, he starts teaching them all the things that I call the upper room locker talk. And at the end of all that, he says, I've said all this to you <clears throat> so that you may have peace. I want you to have that, that peaceful year. But in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. What we see in this verse is some stone-cold reality. You will have tribulation. It's going to be hard, guys. I know it's going to be hard. And that's why, that's why chapter 17, he prays for us, because he knows it's going to be hard. He says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And that's, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about the reality of this life and its difficulties and challenges. We have to reckon to that. And then we're going to talk about the hope that we can find in the Word and in Christ. Um, quick overview. In the Old Testament, we find hardships and challenges all throughout the Old Testament. But, but think about this. God took his people through 40 years of wilderness hardship. God did that. God took his people there to build resiliency. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says, Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands. He fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your ancestors had not known, in order to humble you and test you. Why? So that in the end you would prosper. God took him to boot camp. God took him through hell week, hell 40 weeks, hell 40 years. Why? To prepare them and to cause them to prosper. In the New Testament, we find that we learn humility through these wilderness experiences. Why? Jesus 40 days in the wilderness, the Father takes him there. The Spirit leads him there, Matthew 4.1 tells us. And we too have got to reckon to the reality that God is going to take us into times of testing as well. It's part of it. We wish it wasn't, but it is. His, Jesus is not whitewashing anything here. His call to discipleship, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me daily. Jesus isn't whitewashing this. There's no sugarcoating on the call to the gospel, the call to leadership. The good news is that God supplies the strength to endure. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul says, hang in there. It's going gonna, it's gonna to we're going to work through this. We're going to get there. God is going to strengthen you for what you've got to do. So three keys to becoming resilient. The first one is reckon to reality. You have to do this. We, <laughs> the, the problem is there, there's a, a psychologist, Dr. Kate Wiebe from Santa Barbara. She calls this hero mode. We did this with COVID. And, and this, is, this is not throwing blame or shame on anybody. Um, but what happened? COVID hits and it's what? 
two weeks to flatten the curve, right? We're going to nail this thing. We're going to get it. We're America. We can handle it. We're going to conquer this COVID thing in two weeks. <laughs> How'd that work out? She calls that hero mode. And when we face our own challenges, we do that. We're like, okay, I got this. It's going to go down. We're going to conquer it. We're going to figure this out. We're going to solve it. And we go into that hero mode until we realize that hero mode is probably not going to fix this thing in two weeks. And we're going to have to find a way to endure, to persevere, to hang in there, but also grow and mature. And so we reckon to reality because life is hard and really bad things do happen to people who are sinners but halfway decent people. And it's not fair. And the wicked prosper. They read that all throughout the Psalms. And sometimes it gets so bad, it brings us to the end of ourselves where we're deeply, deeply bone-weary, wondering if we can hold on. And we find out that we're weak. The Apostle Paul discovered that God loves to reveal himself in weakness. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a key verse. Make sure this one's underlined in your Bible. Um, preacher forgot his Bible this morning. I thought I was walking out of the house kind of lightweight. And uh, so James found me a good one here. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I'm going to boast all the more gladly and all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside on me. So because of Christ, I'm pleased. I love my weaknesses. I love them. In insults, oh, yeah. Catastrophes, persecutions, pressures. Oh, that's the best. Because <laughs> when I'm weak, I'm strong. It's God's strength working through me. And, and we have to come to the point where we realize, I mean, yeah, we're, we human beings can run four-minute miles and do all kinds of things. And we've, uh, anybody watched the rocket launch last night? That's cool stuff. That's amazing. Human beings have designed that and figured out how to do that. But you know what? At the end of the day, these problems, these rapids of life, they knock us down. And we discover our weaknesses. But the thing is, our testimony, the story of our life, the story of our life is not, I was born, I was cool, and now I'm awesome. It's not. I was born and life got hard, but God delivered me. God has been my savior, he's been my shepherd, he's been my God. That's our story, right? The God, Jesus means he saves you save people who are in trouble. <laughs> you save people who need a savior. And our weaknesses, we, we, we try so hard to hide them. And Paul is like, that's your story. That's how the gospel came into your life. And, and not that we brag or boast about um, sinful things that we've done. But we brag and we boast how God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. That's what we boast about. We also need to remember that we have an unseen enemy. And, and if you're just having a terrible, rotten, no good day and you can't figure out why, you can figure out why. <laughs> There's an unseen enemy who hates you because you are made in the image of God. And he hates 
hates that. A lot of times that's going to show up through other people. But always remember, dear friends, that people are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Ephesians 6.12, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, rulers, and darknesses of these, this present darkness. That's the enemy. And that's why we can love our enemies, because they're not the enemy. That's why Jesus can hang on the cross and go, Father, forgive them. They don't get it. They don't understand what they're doing. If you're involved in ministry or you're trying to make a difference for the kingdom of God, um, it's going to be hard. Ask Noah about waiting. Ask Moses about grumblers. Ask David about your own kid trying to take the throne from you. Ask the kings of Judah and Israel how hard it was to remove idolatry from the land. Even the best of them couldn't do it. Ask the prophets about people not listening. Ask Daniel about lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego about fiery furnaces. Ask John the Baptist about calling people to repentance and how that works out. Ask Jesus about trying to bring a new kingdom of love to your hometown. Ask the apostles about trying to share good news of a kingdom of light and truth to a world that prefers darkness. <laughs> Paul summarized his ministry this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed. Man, we don't get it. We went up to uh, Sacramento, California, Lincoln, California, to do a church plant uh, with the denomination here. And uh, didn't know anybody, jumped into it, formed a core group. We, we, we were at a church in, in Paso Robles, loved it there. My, my kids, my daughter Emily and my wife Carrie's with me this morning. They loved their school. They loved their teachers. They loved their friends. They loved their neighborhood. And, and we left all that to go to the place that God showed us. And um, it kind of started to take off. Emily was involved with Girl Scouts, having a great time with that. My son's playing Little League, and I'm coaching them. We're having a great time, and we're starting to, to plant the church and um, did a couple preview services. And then there was one lady who went at, at one Sunday, and she confronted another lady um, about an issue, and it didn't go well. It went horrible. And what would have hurt this church killed our baby church. And I get a call on Monday morning from the lady who did the confronting. Hey, Pastor Dan, how you doing? Yeah, um, so we love you guys and stuff, and uh, we'll see you in heaven. Bye. What? The world just went down? And about 20 minutes later, the phone rings again, and it's the lady who was confronted, and she basically calls my wife and I the Antichrist and Antichristus, and um, boom. I turned to my wife, and I said, I think our church just died. And that was in March, and we hung in there till June, trying to limp this thing along, seeing if God would resurrect it, and the enemy won a battle. God's going to win the war. So we put our house in the market and moved again, moved to uh, Ukiah, California, where I was senior pastor of a church up there. And we had two really good years. And uh, the church was kind of stuck at about 200 people, and we were trying to figure out how to get past it. And we uh, uh, took some surveys of the congregation, and for whatever reason, I don't know, uh, there was a couple dozen people that decided to use that survey that was about the church to make it about me. And... Uh, it was just vicious. 
it was cruel. It was, they were attacking my wife. They were attacking my kids. They were attacking me. Um, motivations, competency, skills. I mean, just up one side and down the other. It just was brutal. And you walk away from those things going, I'm perplexed. I don't get it. God, I thought you were with me. We, we, I moved my whole family 300 miles, 400 miles to plant a church. And why didn't you bless it? Why didn't you protect it more? Why, why did you let that happen, God? I, I went to another town. It was mostly, it was an older church. And, and we love older people. And we just wanted to love them and teach them the word. And now they hate us? What's up with that? And so we end up in Ojai in 2007. Quit. I'm done. I don't need this. I don't need this at all. And God slowly brought us back in. I'm here today. My wife's here. And today is kind of the story of that. But, but Paul says we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. We don't get it, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. It's hard. It is hard to serve the Lord. And if, if you haven't discovered that yet, just you haven't done it long enough. The rapids are going to come. They're there. Why? People are sinners. Romans 3.23, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're sinners. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm going to get in the front of that line. The Apostle Paul, we had to be made alive in Christ. We didn't make ourselves alive in Christ. Ephesians 2 tells us he had to make us alive in Christ. So, all that said, okay, that's the Debbie Downer stuff. I could go on and on, but I don't. I don't want to tell you more of my story because I want to tell you more of God's story and what God is, is doing. So Admiral James Stockdale, prisoner of war in the Vietnam War, 1965, he was a Navy pilot who was shot down over Vietnam, spent seven and a half years in the Hanoi Hilton POW camp. And what he noticed during his time there, this is fascinating, was that the POWs who broke the fastest were those who deluded themselves about the severity of their ordeal. The sheer optimists had the most challenging time in their captivity. And what Stockdale noticed was this. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. It's holding on to both of those things going, this sucks. This is horrible. And I'm probably going to die. But I'm not. Perplexed. But I'm not going to despair. I'm crushed. But I'm not destroyed. We're going to get through this. I don't know how because it really doesn't look like we are. But by the grace of God, the strength of God, we're going to find our way through it. That's the Stockdale paradox. What what does Jesus say? Boom. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. You gotta be brutally realistic about that. You gotta know this, this world is not the way God meant it to be. We're supposed to be in a garden and everything's supposed to be cool, but it's not that way anymore. We got kicked out of the garden. Now we're in this mess of a world and we are the ones that have made the mess. But take heart. He's overcome the world and He's in us. And we have what we need to ride these rapids. Um, that's what Jesus said. He's 100% honest about the, uh, the trials that they're going through. Um, we find in Scripture that uh, Job 42.2 says that nobody can thwart God's plans. 
Um, in fact, Psalm 33.10 tells us that God is the one who thwarts others' plans. God is sovereign. He's in charge. He's in control. In Philippians 4, we learn that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In Jeremiah 32.17, we learn, O Lord your God, you yourself made the heavens by your great power and with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. God, we find, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, that God is the one who does immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That's our God. He, he can do anything. He is omnipotent. And we find in Romans 8.31 that if God is for us, who can be against us? See, the reality is that our problems are hard, but also reality is who God is. And the God for whom nothing is impossible indwells you by your faith in Christ. Both of those things are true. Both of them are absolutely true. After going through a lot of those difficult things, that, uh, and there's, there's more to it, but uh, we end up down in Ojai where my wife's parents have some property and a couple houses on that property, and we're just licking our wounds and trying to figure out what's next. And one day in my time alone with the Lord, I'm reading 1 Peter 5.10. And Peter says, after you've suffered a little while, reality, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, that's the destination, that's the end of the story, that's where we're headed to, folks. <clears throat> he will himself <clears throat> do four things. This is, I think, from the Christian Standard Bible um, or the ESV. No, it's ESV. Um, your Bible will have different words, but what's interesting here is like a snowball, Paul or Peter is just packing ideas on top of each other. And he says, God himself, will, he will restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. And he will establish you. There was a day in 2007 I never wanted to be teaching the Bible in front, leading God's people again. Didn't want it at all. And God slowly but surely brought us out of that pit of despair and into a place of joy and serving him again. I watched him do this over five years. I was out of paid ministry. My kids were in junior high and high school. And every Sunday morning, we were just a family that woke up and went to church. And I sat in the pew just desperately needing to worship that song, Mighty to Save, was just, oh, that was one that was hitting my heart at that time. All my fears and failures, giving them up to God. I desperately needed to hear the word from our pastor. Oh. Adversity is arduous. But if we learn to manage it wisely, and we seek the encouragement of others in the midst of that, it's actually the only thing that makes us stronger. And that leads to the second key to adversity. The first point's the biggest one there. The second key thing is we have to remember the reason for our trials. Pardon me. Remember the reason for our trials and what we go through. We all go through hard things. The question is whether or not we learn from them and or just become angry, sullen, bitter, and then quit. Quit a job, 
quit a life, quit a marriage, quit a friendship. Um, you know, Hebrews 5.8 tells us that even Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. There was, I mean, Jesus was fully God, fully man, but somehow in the midst of that, in his humanity, he's having to learn things, and he learned them through suffering and hardship. And if our almighty God, Savior Jesus, had to learn things through hardship, would we ever think that we would not, that we could skip that class, that we could test out of it? (laughs) I don't think so. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered, and we need to also. We we always want to ask, why me, right? That's the question. God, why me? God, I moved my family to Lincoln to start a church. Why me? God, we went to Ukiah to, to love people, and they speared us with their words. Why me? Why, why would you do that? We know why. The real question is what can I learn from it? The why me is, is what's here. Colossians 1, 28 to 29 tells us that God is working all things together to make us mature and perfect in Christ. It's a verse you need to underline in your Bible, Colossians 1, 28 to 29. Romans 8, 28 to 29 says that God causes all things to work together for good to those who loved him, who are called according to his purpose, that we might be conformed to the image of the Son of God. So yes, we know God is causing all things to work together for good to make me happy, life on the beach, driving a Corvette with a big house. No. The good that God is working in Romans 8, 28, that verse that we love, the good that he's working is making you and me like Jesus. That's what he's doing. Because that's where the joy is. The joy is the more we become like Christ, the more joy we find because we're living life the way that it was intended to live back in the garden. James 1, 24, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance have its, have its work, that it, that, that it works all the way through you, that you might be mature and complete, lacking nothing. We have to go through we, these hard times. We know this. You've heard a million sermons on this if you've been in church for a while, that, that hard times is what grow us. So the question is not why. The why is God's making us like Jesus. The question is, okay, God, what do I need to learn from this? Let's not waste this trial. Let's not waste this difficulty. Let's learn something out of it. One of the things that hardships do is they drive us to our knees to rely on God instead of ourselves. That's what the Apostle Paul learned in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's look at that one. That was a really <laughs> funny to say. That's a really good verse. I think they're all really good verses. (laughs) Some of them just resonate with us a little bit more than others. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in the province of Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life. Paul's being realistic here. He's going, man, we thought it was over. Verse 9. However, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul's like, I got a mission to accomplish, and I might die. But then I wouldn't accomplish the mission. So, I don't know, maybe God's going to raise me from the dead. (laughs) And God, God raised me from emotional death. God raises the dead. It's what he does. It's the kind of God who he is. Um, 
I played ice hockey when I was a kid. Absolutely loved it. Loved it. In the desert, down in Lancaster, we, the YMCA ran a great hockey program. And every year when we would start our workouts in October and November, every, every practice, skate, 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 all these skating drills around, skate more, skate more. They'd tell us, come back on Saturdays and the weekends when it's open, skate at the rink and just skate more, skate more, skate more. We're like, get the puck, get the sticks, we want to play. Well, like basketball or, or football, you can't play these sports, one, if you're not in shape, and, and two, hockey. You can't play hockey unless you know how to skate. And so your first dozen practices or whatever, it's all spent learning how to skate, how to do the thing, so that you can play the game. And, and nobody likes it, but you've got to go through it in order to learn how to play the game. There's no way to become strong and mature and resilient in life without the difficulties that we go through. Okay, let's keep moving forward. The third key is recalling God's goodness. Paul said, the, 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 Paul, the guy who in Lystra and Derby was stoned and left for dead, Paul says, be thankful always. In, in Romans chapter 12, um, verse 21, Paul, Romans chapter 1, Paul is just describing the depravity of humanity on and on and on. In the midst of there, catch what he says. In talking about sinful man apart from Christ. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. It's not just going, is there a God or not? It's going, is there a God and is he good and ought I give him praise and worship and thanks? And those who are apart from Christ go, they either deny his existence altogether or they deny his goodness, which is exactly what was happening in the garden. Satan comes to Eve and he's like, hey, if God was really good, he'd give you the fruit. It's always an attack on God's goodness. And so, though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and senseless, and their hearts were darkened. Gratitude is indicative of somebody who's been born again. Because they know where they were, and they know what God has brought them to. It's really interesting, scientifically, brain science, neuroscience moment. Um, it is impossible to simultaneously be anxious and worried and grateful and thankful. In your brain, that cannot happen. It's oil and water. It's one way or the other. And when our brains go to our worry and our pain and our anxiety and all of that, the antidote is gratitude and thanksgiving. It's, and, and, and what ends up happening in your brain, if you're always dwelling on the negative and your problems and your worries and your anxieties, you are thinking thoughts. And every time you think a thought, there's a synapse. If there's any doctors in the room, forgive me if I mess this up. Uh, there's electrical synapses that go through your brain, and it, it wears a trail in your brain, a pathway, just like making a trail through a prairie. It makes a pathway through your brain, and that thought, every time you think it, becomes easier and easier. And you just go there, and you go there, and you go there. That's how we memorize things, right? We repeat a verse over and over and over again. You're wearing a path through your brain as you memorize that verse. Well, if your thoughts are dwelling on your anxiety and worries, guess what you're wearing physically doing to your brain? You're making it easier to worry and stress over things. Whereas, if you think thoughts about who God is and your gratitude to him, and you take your brain there, you choose to direct your brain to go to gratitude, thanksgiving, and praising God, you are wearing paths in your brain that will make it a more natural response to praise him and worship him. 
And it, the two, you cannot do anxiety and thankfulness at the same time. You have to choose one. Um, here's, here's one of the ways that I do it. Um, I came across this when we were in Ojai and I was ready to quit ministry. Another day I'm having my quiet time and I read Psalm 92, 1 and 2. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name most high, to declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. And so I, I don't do this every day. I wish I did. I do it a lot. But very last thing I do before I go to bed, I lay in bed and I, I, I started this 15 years ago, whatever. And I take my hand and I give God a high five. And I just count on five fingers, five things that I'm thankful for that day. God, thanks for blue skies yesterday. God, thank you that I was able to get all my trees and bushes pruned yesterday and I didn't fall off the ladder. God, thanks for a nice conversation with my neighbor. God, thanks that I was uh, able to have a nice breakfast with my daughter, made Swedish pancakes for breakfast yesterday. Mm, love them. And um, thanks for the fireplace that I've got in my house. God, thank you. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. They're all gifts from him. And we've got to take our brain there, and it's how we battle the anxiety and the stress, the way he's recalling his goodness. Okay. So we have to reckon to reality. We just do. It's not fun, but it's, just, it's there. In this world, you will have trouble. We've got to... Um, We've got to remember who God is and what he has done for us. We've got to remember the reasons for our trials, and we've got to recall God's goodness. Now, we'll wrap this up more quickly with three things that you can do, three habits you can incorporate into your life this year that will help you as you hit these rapids. I hope they're not big, and I hope they're not a lot, but I think they're going to come. And so here is how you prepare for those rapids, okay? Hang on. Uh, <clears throat> the first thing, this is, I'm going to hit this for one minute because it's not in your notes. But if you are a ministry leader, Awana, youth group, Sunday school, small group, home group, whatever it might be, and you ever hit the point where you're ready to just throw in the towel and quit, the number one thing, that I have found in my research and, and personal experience, but through a lot of research and talking to people, is you have to remember your calling. Remember your calling, why you got into this. Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah says, I don't want to be a prophet, but man, there's a fire that's shut up in my bones. And, and if I said, I will not be a prophet, oh, that fire is still there. The Apostle Paul said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He knew that there was a calling on his life. You might need to spend some time on the bench, but God is going to get you back in the game. You're going to mount up with wings like eagles. You're going to walk, and then you're going to jog, and then you're going to run, and then you're going to fly. But, but, and it might take years. It took me five years coming out of Ojai. But God is going to restore you and renew you. You know, athletes, if, if <laughs> any football players this weekend, NFL football players, if the end of the game comes and they're feeling pretty good, they were not in the game. <laughs> the guys who are in the game are going to be hitting the ice baths, right? You know? That's the way it is. And um, you've got to get away. You've got to wait on the Lord. If, you, if you're in that position, you've got to do whatever it takes 
to remember your calling and to renew that. Get away, retreat, walk on the beach, whatever it is for you. Time offline, days, months, years. But remember that calling and why you got into it in the first place. And, and here is the really, really hard pill to swallow. The really tough one. Um, humility. When you're going through it and you've just been kicked around and you're ready to quit, the hardest thing is to go, God, what do I learn from this? What do I learn from this? How do I look in the mirror and take the logs out of my own eye? How do I do that? That's the hard, the hard stuff. But Peter, Peter, who denied Jesus three times, says this. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's who gets the grace, is the humble. So Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. It starts with humility, and it makes us teachable. So these three things, uh, they're not complicated. Um, the first one is what I call upward fellowship. Um, you got to stay in tune with God. We really talked about that last week in our union with God and our union with each other. But um, we have to stay tight with God. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, this is not to non-believers. We use this verse a lot in sharing the gospel and calling people to faith. Okay, but this is written to the church in Laodicea. Behold, I stand at the door and knock... If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus says, I want to come have breakfast with you. I want to have lunch with you. I want to have a cup of coffee with you. I want to hang out and I want to talk. I want a relationship. Um, Psalm 105.4, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Um, Jesus said he'll, he'll never lead us to burnout. His biography is I am gentle and I am humble in heart. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me. Spend time with me. And so you need to figure out what does that look like for you on a daily basis? What does it look like for you on a weekly basis? You're here. Awesome. And then what does it look like on an annual basis? In the Old Testament, the men of Israel and all the people of Israel were called away three times a year to festivals. Now that's not Remandated in the New Testament, but we love going to camp. But, but why, why is it that camp seems to be just this thing we send kids to? Guys, ladies, it's hard, especially if you have young kids. How do you take care of them? And so, guys go to a men's retreat, ladies go to a women's retreat. I understand it's kind of hard, but God has set this pattern that we need times to get away, to retreat and reconnect with God in a deeper way. So, the first thing you've got to do is make sure that. Um, you are not too busy for God. Don't let ministry get in the way of you and God. Okay, here's, here's your, your little challenge. I dare you to do this. If you have an iPhone, <clears throat> tap on, on settings. Do this right now. I dare you if, you, if you dare. Tap on settings. Tap on general. Tap on screen time. Tap on see all app and web activity. It'll show you how much time you've spent on your phone in a day, in a week. And then, um, and we all got our phones. We all use them. I do too. <laughs> I did this yesterday. I'm like, oh, shoot. 
<laughs> it's not good. It is not good. It's a reality check, though. And if we say, I don't have time to pray, I don't have time to read the Bible, well, just check that and then redo the math, see what you think. Um, I found the hardest thing about spending time with God, I'm going to show you the hardest thing right here. You want to see the hardest thing? This is amazing. Let's set this down here. This is the hardest thing about spending time with God. Right here. You can see it. It's amazing. I, I worked on this all week. Okay, this, this is the hardest thing. Let's take two steps. Okay, this is the first step. And that's the second step. That's the hardest thing. Because once you do step one and step two, if only you would fear, tear the heavens open and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence as fire kindles the brushwood and fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your enemies so that nations would tremble at your presence. Oh, God, would you just make yourself known in the Holy Land? God, would you just make yourself known in Ukraine? God, would you just make yourself known in my home? Would you just make yourself known in me? I think that took 30 seconds. Hardest part is sitting down and opening it up. So step number one is maintaining that upward fellowship with God. You've got to do that. Step two, which is um, really fun, is the outward encouragement. I wish I could just preach on this all morning long. But we need each other. We need friends. We need connections. There's a great book called The Other Half of Church, which this sermon stuff is really important. Teaching the Word, this is really important. But equally important, just as equally important, I kid you not, brain science research shows this. A book called The Other Half of Church um, by Wilder and Hendricks is what you're going to do in about three minutes or so, four or five, when you get out there and in the parking lot and you're talking to each other face-to-face, eye-to-eye, neuroscience shows that when you are doing that and you're in your Sunday school class and whatever you're doing, that as you are face-to-face with your brothers and sisters in Christ here, joy is happening in your brain. And when the joy is happening in your brain, your brain opens up to God and his truth and his word. It's like fertilizer. And our brains are designed to run on joy. We can run on anxiety and fear and worry and all that other stuff. But they're really designed to run on joy. And that joy happens face-to-face, eye-to-eye. People, you've got to have friends and you've got to get face-to-face. You've got to be with them. And, so, and, and not just Zooming. You need to be face-to-face in person. You need to go out to lunch with people. You need to go out to breakfast with people. You need to get coffee with people. You need to go on a walk on the beach with people. Whatever it is, you've got to get face-to-face, eye-to-eye, because literally joy starts happening in your brain when you do that. It's how it happens, and it's a key thing to resiliency. Um, a guy named Todd Bolsinger wrote a book on resiliency, and one of the things that he found was that the first critical element for a leader's development of resilience is vulnerable self-reflection, getting honest. Then the second equally critical element is safe, solid relationships. Thick, heavy relationships. When we go through these difficult things, we have to have people with us to go through them together. People that we can be honest with and open with and transparent with. And I encourage you, maybe one of your takeaways is making a list of three or four friends that this year you will decide to invest significant time with. Playing golf, walking the beach, having coffee, whatever it is. You need friends, guys, dudes, 
We need each other. We need friends. And you've got to stop working at some point, and you've got to spend time with people. You need it. It's the only, in fact, it's, it's, research also shows that it's the only way that makes the, the hard stuff we go through, the only way it really gains value in our life is when we process it together with friends. It absolutely has to happen. And the last thing is downward rest. That's my great-grandfather. He was a blacksmith. Um, I know nothing about blacksmithing because I was like five years old when he died, and he just taught me how to play checkers. He didn't teach me anything about blacksmithing. But Todd Bolsinger's um, next book, after um, Canoeing the Mountains, was on resiliency, and he focuses in on this theme of blacksmithing and tempering. And tempering metal requires stress and then rest, heating and then cooling. And that process of heating and cooling and stressing and resting is what tempers or hardens metal. And, and these guys, Aker and Gillian, they did this research, and their bottom line of their research was this. The key to resilience is trying really, really hard and going through life and going through all the tough stuff that we go through and then stopping and recovering and resting and then trying really, really, really hard again. That's how we grow. That's how you work out, right? You go, you pump it till it starts to hurt, and then you stop and you rest. Take a day off, then you come back and you hit it again. That is how we grow. And so we have to rest. We cannot go, 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 go. We have to have Sabbath rest. And so, again, you are here. Good job for that. Close with this. This is some of my new favorite Bible verses because last week we talked about water skiing and stuff. Um, This is so cool. In Mark chapter 6, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And it, there's this, this is right around the feeding of the 5,000 and life and ministry is just getting crazy. And he's like, guys, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. Let's go get some rest. For many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So verse 32, so they went away in a boat and had a staff meeting and they planned and organized the rest of the year. <laughs> they got in a boat probably Peter's boat, and did nothing. They hung out on Galilee, waves lapping on the side of the boat, just resting at the invitation of Jesus. Guys, don't go buy a boat this afternoon. Wait a few months, finance it. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of rest. Thank you for setting the example for us. You worked six days, and then you rested. Thank you for calling us into that Sabbath rest. Thank you for the gift of friendships that we need. We need that outward encouragement. And thank you that you stand at the door and knock and invite us to invite you in to have a meal to talk, to cast our cares upon you. Oh, Lord, you know this. You know what this year holds. We don't. You do. I pray your grace upon my friends here. I pray your grace upon my family. I pray for straight and level paths. I pray for strength to do whatever it is that we need to do. But most of all, Father, we pray that you would take these difficult things that we go through and that you would use them to make us more like Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.